Great to see you, Purpose Church. Today we're starting a five-part series leading up to our 150th anniversary on October 16th. And this, this series is based on our church's five core values, and it's called We Are Purpose. And today, uh, because we're launching our fall life groups, uh, we are starting with value number one, which is we are better together. We are better together. Now let's see how the women at this weekend's Alive, uh, Women's Alive Conference here at Purpose Church, let's see how uh, the women did uh, at remembering this particular value. So we're here trying to see if people know our core values at the church. And if I say we are Purpose Church, we are, you would say, we are, we are, followers of Jesus Christ. We are, we are, love. We are, Purpose Church. Purpose Church. Purpose Church. Purpose Church. We are, oh, I know. Better together. We are better. Together. If we say we are better, you would say together, together, better together. We're better together. We are better together. Better together. Better together. Better together. Better together. I don't know. I'm crazy. We are better than together. Together. We are better together. Now, I want to give credit where credit's due. Our student ministries, they're the ones that started this quizzing people on our core values, uh, quizzing their students to help their students uh, remember our five core values uh, here at our church. We are better together. God designed us to be together. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christians. And our groups kick off this week. And so that's why we're doing uh, this value because uh, our groups, our life groups, are kicking off uh, this Sunday and this coming week. And now some meet at other times, but if you're available on Wednesday nights, the easiest thing to do if you want to get involved in a group is just show up here on campus on this coming Wednesday night at 7 p.m., uh, we're launching our groups all this week, but particularly 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. You just show up on our campus, and there is something for everyone. There are small groups for children, uh, discipleship groups, and our Awana program. There are small groups for uh, students, 5th uh, through 12th grade. And there are uh, life groups uh, for adults as well. There are groups for uh, children, for students, and for adults. Now, could I just have a little bit of a sidebar here? And I want to say a word uh, to you parents. Um, and I want to share something uh, just as, as a way of uh, seeing how God has worked in Kimberly in my life and, and things that we've learned about uh, from that. And I just want to give a, a word uh, to our parents. Uh, our kids and students are just facing such hard times uh, today, especially after the past two years, you've probably been reading um, media accounts and research accounts about how our kids are and students, it's been a hard couple of years. And you know, when you're older, you can look back 
and see things so clearly. I can see things at my age now so clearly and see the results today of decisions that Kimberly and I made with our family and with our kids um, decades ago. And, and some of those lead to some regret. And, and, and I'll confess that there are certain things that I regret and would do things differently to get a different result decades later. But there are other things that bring joy. And you just look back uh, for years ago, uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and say, thank you, God, for those decisions that led to these particular impact and results uh, today. Uh, Kimberly and I have uh, six children and uh, now eight grandchildren. And the number one thing you can do, uh, as we've seen in our life story, in our journey, the number one thing you can do to bless your child is to get them into a life group with godly leaders who will pour into their lives. This past Wednesday night, I just got a chance to hang out with some of the uh, young adults that are going to be leading life groups for, for our students, those in junior high and those in um, high school as well, middle school, uh, 5th through 12th grades. I got a chance to, to see some of the Awana leaders and to be with them as they're preparing to start these groups of, of children and, and to build into their lives. And I know that there's just tremendous pressure to help your kids be successful uh, through sports and academics and extracurricular activities. And I remember back when our kids were younger and Kimberly and I felt that pressure greatly. And we often were afraid that we might miss out on those opportunities for our kids' future success and opportunities because we had them here in life groups at church. And now we had them in sports and drama and music, and, and we pushed academics. But life groups here at church always uh, had uh, the greatest positive effect on their lives more than anything else that we had them involved in. And uh, we made them a number one priority. And uh, we worried that we were having our kids miss out on opportunities, miss, miss out on future success, uh, because we made that a priority. And, and I would urge you to make having your kids in youth group, having your kids in children's ministry, having your kids in, in life groups um, to be your number one uh, priority. And I just want to let you know that our kids didn't miss out on future opportunities and success because we made having them here at church in children's ministries, in youth ministries, in life groups, uh, we made that our first priority. And, and, and we look back over our lives and we were so afraid and there was a lot of cultural and peer pressure, even in the church from our friends, even at church and, and certainly within uh, the, the community and our friends that we had. Uh, we, we were afraid that we were causing them to miss out, but we just felt God led us to make uh, having them in church and having them in groups here at church and ministries here at church to be our number one priority. But looking back over, we realize now that our kids did not miss out. Uh, our kids and their spouses include a, a doctor and a lawyer and teachers and a politician, a pastor and an air traffic controller. 
And so we look back over their lives and, and they did not miss out. As a matter of fact, we believe they were blessed. They have God's blessing on their lives because we follow this biblical principle found in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, his priorities, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so I just really want to urge you in your own lives as adults to, to be connected with, with the groups that we have available and the ministries we have involved and have your kids and your grandkids and the students in your life, have them involved as well. And if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, I believe at least from our life experience, from our journey, Kimberly and I would say that we have seen because we made that a priority all these other things were given to us and given to our kids. And now with our grandchildren, our two of our older grandchildren of our eight uh, are now in life groups themselves, um, in, in, in youth groups or in uh, uh, life groups. They've been involved in those groups and we can see the impact it's had in their lives as well. What we need as much as anything in life is what we're gonna, we call koinonia. That's the title of today's study. First of all, let's define koinonia. Uh, it is Christian fellowship or communion with God or more commonly with fellow Christians. And the Greek word for the biblical concept of fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia. Uh, the root word is koinos, from which we get our word common. And you know, there's a lesson even in the, the type of Greek that the New Testament was written in. Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. And there's a lesson even in the type of Greek that God used to communicate with us. It's called Koinonia Greek, um, uh, common Greek. Not the classical Greek that the Greek philosophers wrote in, not the classical Greek that the elite um, would be reading in, but instead, Koinonia Greek was the everyday Greek, the Greek that would be used in today's um, newspapers or in media, the common Greek for the everyday person. That's what God used, not the classical Greek of the Greek philosophers, but the, the Koinonia Greek, the common Greek, is what God used uh, in the New Testament to communicate with his people. It means to share in common, Koinonia. It means to share with others, to communicate, um, communion, and to be in community. And there is just a hunger and a thirst for community, for koinonia today. You know, when we were going to change our church's name, we had researchers, and we, we asked them, what are the words that produce the most hunger and thirst and interest from non-believers? We asked them, what, 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 what most connects with the hunger and thirst of, of people today? And they came up with two words. One was the word purpose. People desire uh, to have, they have a hunger and a thirst to have a purpose in their lives. And that's what we used for our church's name. But the other word that they gave to us that we chose not to go with, but the other word was connect. People have a hunger to have a purpose in their lives and to connect with other people. Now you gotta be careful not to be too inward. And it can be abused. I'm going to balance this out uh, next Sunday as we get into part two of this series. But there is tremendous power 
when the church is really the church, when we experience authentic fellowship, when we experience koinonia. A heaven is a community, and God wants us to get a taste of heaven on earth. He wants us to experience the koinonia, a taste of the koinonia we're going to experience in heaven. He wants to experience this side of heaven. Chuck Swindoll writes, Christian koinonia may be defined as expressions of genuine Christianity freely shared among the members of God's family. This idea of sharing has at least two aspects. We can share something with someone, such as money, words of encouragement, confession of failure, or statement of need, and we can share in something with someone, such as sorrow, joy, or an area of mutual concern. Now, there are counterfeits to koinonia. There are counterfeits to community. Uh, things like what you experience in a bar is counterfeit koinonia, or in a cult that is counterfeit uh, koinonia. So here's an example of the real thing. Let's see koinonia illustrated. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, uh, to koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now just a couple of thoughts on this passage. A koinonia does not depend on the size of a church. I've known small churches that were cold, and I've known large churches that were warm. It doesn't depend on the size of a church. Uh, but um, this church in Acts, for example, had 3,000 people, and it was growing even larger every day. And yet there was koinonia in that church, even though it was a large church. So it does not depend on the size of a church. But koinonia does depend on the atmosphere of a church. Doesn't depend on the size of a church, but it does depend on the atmosphere of a church. And so now we talk about koinonia achieved. We're going to look at five characteristics of a, of a koinonia atmosphere. Number one is an atmosphere of acceptance. Um, first of all, realizing that when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are accepted by God. There's an atmosphere and an understanding that you have now been accepted by God. This is the theme verse for our rooted life groups. Ephesians 3, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted, just like our rooted uh, ministry here, that over 2,000 of our people have gone through the rooted life group experience. You being rooted and established in love, uh, understanding that you are accepted by God, you are loved by God when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then, based on our acceptance in Christ, uh, our acceptance that God is accepting us, we now accept each other in Christ. Uh, Romans 12, verses 9 through 16. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And so first of all, Koinonia is an atmosphere of acceptance. God's acceptance of us, and now we turn around and accept each other. And then number two is an atmosphere of openness. James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, when it says confess your sins to each other, it doesn't mean confess them to one person, uh, like a priest, but confess, but be open uh, with each other, okay? Not to one person, like a priest, but confess your sins. Be open with each other about our, our weaknesses. Pray for each other and share those things with each other to each other. And we don't, it doesn't mean that we share everything with everyone, but there's this general openness. We as a church want to be a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. Uh, Dr. Dan Fountain was one of our church's American Baptist missionaries from the past. And he was absolutely a legend in the Congo. He served there for almost 40 years in the Congo, built up this massive health care program and a hospital there and a teaching hospital there. He was one of the first to encounter the AIDS epidemic and considered one of the worldwide experts on, on dealing with AIDS. And he did it all in the name and the witness of Jesus. And I saved a newsletter that he did years, years ago. He says, the other day, Dr. Mr. Miyaka came into the consulting room complaining of lower abdominal pain of six years duration. I checked out his various organs, intestines, kidneys, back, bladder. I even did things I can't write about in a church newsletter. Everything checked out okay. Mr. Miyaka there's really nothing wrong with you. No, I didn't tell him that. Um, something was definitely wrong. I just couldn't figure out what it was. Two days later, as he was talking with Mrs. Matala, our gifted pastoral counselor, he broke down and wept. Mama, I know why I hurt. Six years ago, I was unfaithful to my wife, and I've been in pain ever since. Mr. Miyaka had no, quote, disease that I could find. But he was ill, and I knew it. 
Mrs. Matala, led by God's Spirit, helped him to identify the real cause of his illness, and then she helped him to deal with it. After confession came repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation with his wife, and real healing. No prescription was necessary, nor were manipulations or a scalpel. But Mr. Miyaka, who for six years had been ill, went home well. He, was, he, was, he, he went home healed. Why? Because of an atmosphere of openness, where we're open with each other. We, we confess what's really going on in our lives, and then we pray for each other, and the Bible says we'll be healed. And then number three is an atmosphere of communication. Um, I believe with all my heart that if you just get more information about a situation, if you just communicate and you get more information, say there's something you don't agree with that maybe we do here at church or that I do and you hear uh, Pastor Glenn did such and such or we made some decision at church or a friend of yours or, or somebody else in the workplace or where you go to school you hear that they did something, or you hear that they said something. The first thing to do is to have an atmosphere of communication, to get more in information. And I believe with all my heart that 90% of the time, when you get more information, it clears, clears up the situation and what you were feeling about it. 90% of the time. And an additional 9% of the time, when you get more information on something, you may still disagree with what that person did, uh, but you understand why they did it. So 90% of the time, uh, you hear uh, something here at church, or we did something, or Pastor Glenn made some decision, and 90% of the time, you'll say, uh, you get more information on it, you'll say, okay, now I understand it. And an additional 9% of the time, you'll say, well, I still disagree with what they did, but I understood that they had good motives, good reasons for doing what they did. I may disagree with it, but I understand their reasons for it. And then 1% of the time when you get more information, you disagree with what they did and you disagree with why they did it. But you can usually live with 1% of the time uh, believing that a person did the wrong thing or did it for the wrong motivations. We can live with that in our relationships. We can have unity as a church with 1%. And the key is getting more information. There's a story I love that, in, in, in just kind of an obscure Old Testament story that illustrates this. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh made this deal with Moses. These three tribes right here, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. There was East Manasseh and the West Manasseh. And they settled in on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And they made a deal with Moses, that they would go in and help the other tribes conquer their territory, but then Moses would allow them to settle. After they had done their part in helping the other tribes, they would be allowed to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so we pick up the story in Joshua 22, verse 9. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan to return to Gilead, their own land which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. When they came to Gileath, near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there 
by the Jordan River. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar, okay, there was a rumor that went through the camp. They said, oh, they've built that altar because they want to be a different nation than us. They, they want to worship a different God than us. So when the Israelites on the western side, the other nine and a half tribes, when they heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gililath, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. So they, they build this, this altar, the two and a half tribes do. And the other tribes misunderstand what's going on, and they say they are building this to start a new religion, following a new God, a new nation. And finally, some smart person raised their hands in the back and said, excuse me, but before we kill them all, shouldn't we ask them why they did it? Let, let's get some more information before we kill them. They said, okay, sounds like a good idea. And so they go to him and said, look, are you trying to start a new nation? Are you trying to follow a different God? Are you starting trying to start a, a, a new religion, follow a different God than, than we've been following? And it says in verse 21, when they heard this, then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel know, if this had been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord? the God of Israel. The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. It was the exact opposite reason they built the altar. They built it as a reminder that they will always follow the Lord, just like the other nine and a half tribes on the western side of the Jordan. They would remind their descendants, we too are part of the nation of Israel. And so when the nine and a half tribes got more information, it says in verse 33, they were glad to hear the report and praise God and they talked no more about going to war. So when you have an atmosphere of communication, when you gather more information, in this case it was 90% of the time, they go, oh, we agree with what you did and we agree with why you did it. Now, there's another 9% of the time that you may still disagree with what they did, but you understand why they did it. And only about 1% of the time do you get more information and say, you know, I still disagree with what you did and with why you did it. Uh, number four is an atmosphere of encouragement. Uh, where fi people figure out what would be an encouragement to another person, to each other, and they do it. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Uh, sometimes it's praying for someone. And sometimes it's doing something tangible. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, 2 Samuel chapter 15, King David's son Absalom leads a conspiracy and a revolt against his father David. And David, as a result, has to run for his life. And so it's the lowest point in his life. He's heartbroken 
because his son has done this to him. He's discouraged. He's scared. He's tired. He's thirsty. And he's hungry. And then three friends show up in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 17, uh, starting with verse 27. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, friend number one, son of Nahash from Reba of the Ammonites, and Makir, friend number two, son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, friend number three, the Gileadite from Rogelim, uh, brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said, okay, they, they, they came up with the idea. The people have become exhausted and hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. They realized that their friend David was um, in the wilderness. Uh, they realized that he was hungry and thirsty and tired and discouraged. And that act of encouragement saved David's life. It saved the lives of the people that he led, and it saved the nation of Israel. With, with that act of encouragement, David got encouraged and took heart. In chapter 18, it says in verse 1, the next two verses, David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent out his troop. David revived. David got his courage back. He got encouraged. And this coming week, you might be just that person for someone in your life. The Holy Spirit is going to help you uh, realize that somebody's discouraged, just like he did it for these three friends, and he's going to show you what action to take. And if you join a life group, you put yourself in a position to do that for someone else, to do that for other people. And you put that yourself in a position for someone to do that for you as well. And then finally, number five, an atmosphere of restoration. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's go back to verse 1 if we could. We want to be a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. In the original Greek, the Koinonia Greek, this verb that is translated here, restore that person gently, it carries with it the idea of, of gently setting a broken bone. Christians shouldn't be known for shooting our, our wounded we shouldn't engage in Christian cancel culture where someone uh, does one wrong thing and we cancel them. Or someone says one wrong thing and we cancel them. Instead, when they get caught in a sin, when they make a mistake, we should restore that person gently in the same way a doctor gently restores a, a, broken, a broken bone. We should believe the best of each other and not the worst. We shouldn't be like the tribes of Israel who were ready to go to war with the other two and a half tribes before they had all of the facts. You know, I asked some of our uh, group leaders what they have heard from people as to the obstacle 
or, or reasons for not getting into a group. And here are some of the obstacles. Here are some of the reasons that people said that they don't get into one of our life groups uh, here at Purpose Church. Um, uh, one reason is they're introverts and they don't like to share in groups. They're afraid that they're going to show up at a group and somebody's going to go, hey, you're new. What are your five biggest sins? Let's stick you in the middle of a circle and you have to recite uh, your, your five biggest sins. I can promise you uh, that's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, you don't have to say a thing if you don't want to in one of our life groups. You share when you want to and you share if you want to. Another reason for not being part of a group is they say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. Um, you're afraid that you're going to show up in one of these groups and all of a sudden somebody's going to point to you and says, hey, you, quote uh, Zechariah 13, verse 9. <laughs> Again, you don't have to say anything and nobody's going to put you on the spot. And could I just share something that I found in my life, the more you know about the Bible, the more you feel like you don't know. All of us are just humbly trying to understand God's Word. Another one is you don't know what will happen in the group. Uh, will it be weird? Okay. Um, sometimes it's uh, social anxiety is another reason people gave. They don't want to get stuck with weirdos um, in a group. Uh, they're worried they're going to show up in a group and they're going to do trust falls, or they're going to do <laughs> they're going to do animal sacrifices. And you know, I just want you to know we only do animal sacrifices in our life groups just a couple of times a year, and we let you know ahead of time. No, <laughs> nothing weird is going to happen. Uh, it, 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 it's just totally normal conversation, like you have over the dinner table. Another reason people give is they don't need people. Or they don't want, uh, they don't want or need people or, or accountability. Um, sometimes people say not wanting to open your life too private. Uh, they don't want to open up their life uh, to anyone. Uh, some people would say it's hard to find consistent timing when you have busy children, and that's why many of our groups meet here on campus at times when we have children and student ministries provided. So we provide for your children and for your students so that you can focus in on that time of spiritual growth and koinonia. And then, of course, probably the, the most common reason is too busy, not enough time. Um, it's like working out. Every time I go out to run or to walk or I go to the gym, I always think as I'm going out uh, to exercise, I don't have time for this, uh, or I'm too tired for this. But when I'm done working out, I always think I'm so glad that I did that. And the same thing is true when you experience koinonia, when you're part of a, when you're part of a group, you're part of a life group. You always think when you're going to it, I don't have time for this, or I'm too tired for this. But you almost always go home saying, I'm so glad I did that. You know, there's over 2,000 people at Purpose Church have now done our Rooted Life Group experience uh, here at our church. And, and I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but I personally, 
out of those two over 2,000 people, I have never heard a single person say that it was not worth their time. Koinonia means moving our church from being an organization to being a functional family, uh, a place where we can find strength and encouragement, empowerment, and confidence for living, a place where we are better together. And all God's family said, amen and amen. Um, let's close with this. Knowing what I know now, four years later, I wish I had started a life group four years ago. Three years ago, my wife Natalie and I got married and we started going to church and at the time that was enough. But it wasn't until we started to go to our life group that we realized that there was so much more. For me, I hadn't been involved in church because I didn't have time to join another group, another weekly commitment. Time was always my excuse as well. But then my wife kind of challenged me by saying, my friend uh, Chris yeah. is going to start going to Rooted. It started in Rooted. I think we texted each other like, Dude, are you doing, are you doing Rooted? <laughs> are you really if you're doing gonna it? Do it, I mean. <laughs> Before being part of the group, I couldn't have imagined that being my choice. Four years ago, I would have gone home to play, watch football. Right. And now I look forward to that. Yeah, lunch to, the, to the hangout. And then usually it ends up in, let's go to lunch. You know, like somewhere around in the area, we all go to lunch and- Where football is on. Where, yeah, they had that football <laughs> on. I never thought something was missing in my life. And I didn't realize that this really existed, this friendship with other families, other believers. Being in a life group, it's given me a chance to see how other dads that have the same values that I have parent and giving me the opportunity to learn from them. I wish we would have done this sooner. It's, it's just, just changed everything.